generosity breeds generosity breeds is an, is an example and an extension of contentment. One who really trusts in God's provision, one who is truly content in what it is that God provides, is able to then be generous towards others. The question, the, the thing that we wrestle it with is whether or not we're truly content with what it is that God has provided for us? Or are we constantly looking for more? I think Jeremiah Burroughs, in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, describes contentment well. Contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. You take pleasure in God's and what God disposes to you in every condition you find yourself in. Are you content? Do you trust? I mean, this comes down to a matter of trust, doesn't it? Do you trust that God will provide what you need? Or are you constantly looking towards that which he hasn't done or hasn't given, and therefore you, you're robbed of contentment? And if you're robbed of contentment, then you always, you're, you're always in this state of, well, I can't really give of my money or myself or my time. All these things are always bound up in something else. And as soon as God gives that, then I can do this. Then I'll finally be happy. I'll finally be content. And then I can free myself to live life for God and live it to be generous towards other people. But as long as God doesn't meet this one need, then I'm bound up and not being able to live the way that God wants me to live until he does what I'm asking for him to do. But when you see that he's provided Christ, and you have, because of his work, you have full forgiveness of sin. Complete pardon. That eternity and joy and happiness and glory are assured to you, then you can let go of these other things that you're wanting, desiring, waiting for. See, he's already provided. Regardless of what happens to you and I, regardless of what comes into our lives, come what may, our future is secure. Our, our salvation is secure in Christ. And in having him, you have everything. And in having everything, then you're freed to live a life worthy of the gospel. To live generously. To give. You're not holding on to what you have, but you see everything that within your possession as being an issue of of stewardship and being used to bless others. You can want to. This turns, the, this, this turns an inward desire towards an outward desire. You actually want to give. You actually want, and I'm not talking about like just finances here. I'm talking about giving of yourself to other people. I mean, this, I think, this is really where Americans struggle. We are so privatized. We love our comforts and our conveniences to actually become to actually open myself up and become vulnerable to another person 
that's really where the rubber meets the road. I'll give you some of my money, I'll give you a little bit of my time, but to give you of myself, that's the real difficulty. I've been burned before too many times, or, or people have hurt me in the past, and therefore we, we close up, we shelter up, and we block ourselves off from truly entering into Christian fellowship with other people, where we minister to them, and they are ministering to us. You see the way that God provides for the, for the needs of other people through the ministry of his word as he, as he works upon their soul, their heart, the things that really are concerning and matter to them. And you become an instrument of change in his life to help people grow in their sanctification into the image of Christ. What better gift is there to be used by Christ to help someone else become like Christ? There's nothing better whether it's in salvation or in further sanctification, to help somebody along to become more like the one that they love so dearly, there's no greater gift. There's nothing better to be used by the Lord for. Not only is he called into their remembrance, his provision for them in the past, which reminds us of his provision for us, namely in Christ and the forgiveness that he's given to us, and our sin and then of our sin and then by extension a way that he will continue to provide for us so that we can minister to others and, and glorify him but there's also an element of preparedness as well he says in verse 36 he said to them but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one Having called to remembrance his good provision, he now speaks of the seriousness at hand. He's about to be betrayed, and it's important for his disciples to be prepared. I like the way that John Calvin puts it. He says, it's as if Jesus is saying, Hitherto, I have had an easy and you have had an easy and prosperous condition because I wish to treat you gently like children. The full time has now come when I must employ you in labor like men. Up until this point, I have been so gracious and kind to you as a father or a mother would with their children, but now it is time to grow up and to be a man because I'm leaving. Be prepared for what it is that is to come. We don't have to get very far away from the Gospel of Luke to remember what it is that he has just said that is to come to them previously in chapter 21. Be reminded that Jerusalem is coming to the ground, and many of you will see this happen. There will be persecution, there will be trial, there will be suffering. Most of you are going to be put to death for my namesake. Remember all that stuff that I just got done teaching you when we were in the temple and you were looking up at the temple and how wonderful and glorious and beautiful it was and I reminded you that not one stone will be left upon another. It is all coming to the ground. And life is going to get extremely hard. You need to be prepared for what is coming. Just because he provides for all of our needs doesn't mean that we float down the, the spiritual river of life lazily not being prepared for what it is that he calls his people to do and how he calls us to live and to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so does the, is, is having a preparedness for Christian living at all? I mean, do you put any work into being prepared to live this Christian life well? You spend time reading the word. You spend time in prayer. How often do you think about the importance of preparation? 
to be able to live well for the king until he returns. In its preparation of being handed over to the world, it's that he prepares his apostles to do the same. And so how he deals with his opponents is to be how they should deal with his opponents as well. And so this helps us see that the words that he is talking about here in verse 36 regarding the money bag, the knapsack, and most importantly, the sword, he is speaking here um, figuratively. What it is that the believer must be prepared to, to do and how they are being prepared to live. We know that it's his, his words here are figurative because you don't see the apostles wielding the sword at all. Church discipline? <laughs> you know? Nowhere in the New Testament do we see the church wielding the sword to carry out gospel ministry, to do, to do the work of the church. But we do see the sword spoken of numerous times throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, in a figurative way. Of where does, where does, where does the, the believer and the disciples' true hope and power come from? The ability to make a difference. Where does it come from? When Jesus ascended in the book of Acts, did he leave them an arsenal of swords and weaponry in order for them to be able to accomplish gospel ministry? No. But who did he leave them with? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is where the believer's power comes from to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the life of the church. And we see this clearly spoken of in several places. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, I don't bring peace but the sword. What did he bring? At that moment, did he pull, you know, pull aside his robe and whip out this sword that he'd been carrying upon him the whole time? No, but he's talking about the power of his word. As his word goes out and the gospel goes out, it divides family members and friends. We see Wayne read this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that the believer wields the sword of the Spirit. That that whole list of things that he gives to us in Ephesians 6 is all spiritually oriented. And how the believer is called to be prepared in that way. And then most clearly probably is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 when he says that the word of God is sharper than the two-edged sword. I don't know about you, but... If I'm faced with the choice of having a sword or to, in order to accomplish a certain purpose or task and something else that's better than a sword, I want the thing that's better than the sword. And he says that the word of God is sharper. It's better than any human sword because it is the thing that penetrates. It pierces and it divides soul, spirit, bone, and marrow. It goes into the depths and it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The wonderful thing about the Bible is not only tells you what you do, it tells you why you do what you do. It reveals your thoughts and your intentions, your motives. No sword, no physical sword could perform a work like that. But the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Word of God being used in someone's life, it, 
Many of us in this room have had that sword used upon us personally. You come to the word of God or the words of a faithful friend absolutely lay you in half. You've been cut and you've been pierced before the Lord, sometimes in very good ways and joyful ways where he encourages you and lifts you up and reminds you of his provision and his love and his care. We like those. But sometimes in other ways where he convicts you and he pierces you to the heart and he convicts you of sin and of right unrighteousness in ways that we have not lived consistently with him in his word. And we're laid open, we're laid bare. We prefer not to have those. But God in his goodness and his grace, he works and he pierces us as it needs to be done. The sword is also used figuratively. There's another word for it. The word that Jesus is using here is concerning probably more like a short sword. There's another word that's used primarily in the book of Revelation which talks about just a long, broad sword. And that's the sword that Christ wields that comes out of his mouth in Revelation 19:15, as he's pictured as the rider on the white horse coming in just majestic power and beauty on the purity of this white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth his, his powerful word coming out of his mouth and accomplishing that which he wants to accomplish you think of the power of the word of God as he spoke everything into existence. Because he wanted it to exist, he spoke it into existence, and it existed. And by his same word, he speaks. And he accomplishes that which he wants to do. That is why, as a church body, this church is built around the word of God from the preaching here on Sunday mornings to men's, women, men's ministries, women's ministries, children's ministry, any other ministry that we might have or will ever have is first dependent upon the word of God being able to go out effectively. Because this is what, where the power comes from and this is how God changes people in his word. We believe that, and so we stick to it. We see the call of Christ, our captain, is to prepare our hearts as we live in a world that is opposed to him. And there's been a preparedness that is involved for the believer to be aware of. Again, we've seen it in Luke chapter 21. Be prepared for what it is that is coming. And, when, and Jesus says in verse 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He tells his disciples, he's already told them of what it is that's going to come, and then he tells them, so when you see these things begin to happen, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Be prepared. This is a stance of preparedness. Don't slouch. Don't be lazy. Don't fall asleep. How many of Jesus' parables are involved with darkness and, and laziness and sleepiness and how he rebukes those things for the life of the believer. Don't walk through life, have a sleep. Be aware, have your eyes open, look up, straighten up. Know what it is that is coming. Know the time that you live in. Look at the age. See what's going on around you. 
Every day that goes by is a day closer to the return of the king where all things are done fully and finally. And, does the, and do we live in a way that's prepared for that day? And do we live every day being prepared and preparing for that? I'm not, you know, I'm not a prepper, but I'm a preparer. We need to be prepared for what it is that is coming. He says in, we go on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he would write this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, your mind for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Are you prepared to engage in the battle, the warfare, that is going to be presented to you so that you might not return back to the ways of your former ignorance. How many times have you done something and you're like, why do I keep doing that? That's what I used to do before I was a believer. And we're constantly pulled back towards being and thinking and doing things that we used to do. And Peter's admonition is, beware. Prepare your mind for action being sober-minded so that you don't drift back into those ways. He's, Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5, through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In this preparation, in this warfare that we're involved in, we, we don't fight with earthly weapons. And we're not fighting to, to, to bring about an earthly end. Our weapons are spiritual for spiritual end. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ if it is not consistent with biblical truth. And this becomes real practical in everyday living. How often have you had a thought that if not checked immediately, 10 minutes later, you've created this whole world mentally that you're now living in that is not reality? And of which you have to then take these thoughts captive and 10 minutes later, it's so much more difficult to do than if you'd have done it immediately. That is, not, that is not true. It's not real. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to allow my emotions to get involved in that line of thinking and then later on down the road then have to do battle with a reality that I created in my mind that isn't even true. If I'd have taken that thought captive and made it obedient to Christ to begin with, I wouldn't be where I am. And are we prepared? I, if you're hearing what I'm saying, you're like, man, I'm on guard 24-7 mentally. Yes, you are. You, the enemy is looking for an opportune time. Thankfully, he provides what we need, doesn't he? And we're prepared. And we're reminded that this is all going according to the plan. Verse 37. Jesus says, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. It must be. 
There's a divine necessity going on here. There is something, there is a reality going on, there is a plan that is unfolding that is divine in nature, and it will be accomplished. And I am at the center of it, is what Jesus is saying. And it will be accomplished in me. It must be accomplished, and it must be in me. And he then goes on to quote Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, you know that that's just one smidgen of a larger portion of what it is that he talks about in Isaiah 53 of how for our iniquities he was pierced, our transgressions, he's been afflicted for us. He's saying that suffering servant that you guys read of in Isaiah 53, of which there's some mystery as to who it is, I would just want to let you know and make it real clear that that suffering servant is me. And everything regarding that suffering servant that the servant will do, I will do. And it takes place in me. I am the center of forgiveness, of the healing of transgressions. I'm going to be pierced for your iniquities. And because of that, you will be pardoned and you will have full forgiveness when you come to me by faith. And it must happen according to the divine plan of God as it is unfolding and it happens in Christ. And it's happening for them the next day when he is crucified. And they all leave him. Jesus isn't combating his divine purpose in the plan of God. And neither should we. Trust in his provision, and he trusts in how he prepares us. What was given, he says, it has its fulfillment in me. What was given in types and shadows has now appeared in substance and reality. Redemption is being accomplished. You think of that. Salvation. It's, it's, it's happening right before their very eyes and right before ours. And even now today, as he is working his plan of redemption out through his people, out of the church, to restore, to, to call in his sheep, and to see when his sheep come in, to see them built up into the image of Christ. Those are the things that the church is committed to doing all through the powerful working of the Word of God. And verse 38 just reminds us of the figurative nature of, of the sword. They said to him, look, Lord, here are two swords. There's 12 of them there, if you count Jesus, and there's two swords. Here's two swords. That's, that's enough for us, right? And Jesus' response is just a simple dismissal. It is enough. And he moves on to the garden to sing together. As we prepare to partake of communion together, we think of how it is that God has provided for us or preserved for a purpose. And he also provides and prepares us for that purpose. A few of those things that he calls us to do, as we think of last week's message, to strengthen and encourage one another. I've been greatly convicted and challenged by that. I don't know if you've been given that much thought. But are you a strengthener and an encourager to those around you? Is that how other people, when they see you coming, are they like, oh my goodness, here's Nick. Or are they like, man, 
here he comes. He's such a joy. He's such a strength and an encourager to me. That's how we should all be thinking. Are we seen as being sources of encouragement and strength because we got the good news to share with one another? Preserved for the purpose and provided for, and he prepares us to preach the gospel as well. We realize that we're called to be salt and light in this world. How much time and effort do we put into sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel to those who don't know Christ? Trusting in his power of the gospel to regenerate, to bring salvation, to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And how he uses people like us, you and me, to do that when we share his word with others. And we're also preserved for the purpose provides for us and prepares us to maintain the unity of the body and the purity of the church. Are you, in, are you intentional at maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians 4? Are you, a, are you a divider or a unifier? Do you, do, do you, do you, are you intentionally trying to bring unity and preserve the purity of the church? in your own life, and in the way that you interact with other people as well. These are things that we should be, a few of the things that we should be thinking about and trying to be prepared to do. Sometimes it takes a little bit of preparation to be nice to other people, you know? At least it does for me. Like, I'm sorry. Full disclosure. Asher woke up the other morning, like, yelling and I was like oh he got up on my side of the bed you got to be prepared but trust so as we go into the communion time um, we are prepared to live this way but we trust his provision he provides all that we need for life and godliness the communion table is like it's the clearest picture of that of what it, what it is that he has provided. He's provided his only begotten son. Jesus did not combat the divine plan that was in place to, to, to buy us, to purchase us and make us his. And the communion time is, is a, such a clear reminder of that. He jettisoned. We're going to see next week his prayer where he kneels down and says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That has got to be the heartbeat of every believer yielding and submitting to God as, as the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ did, of who we now remember and celebrate and worship during this time of communion. And because of that, communion time is reserved for the believer. If you know Christ by faith and by faith alone, then partake and worship. Remember, rejoice, and who he is and what he's done, come to him with prayer, confession, be assured of his provision, which he has given to us in Christ, and then all of his provisions that he provides for us, overwhelmingly, abundantly, and generously does he give to his people. And if you're not a believer, then we ask for you just to consider who Christ is, what he's done, do you know him by faith? Are you still standing upon your own goodness, your own works, your own personality? And it's all going to fade away. That'll crumble 
when you stand before him. If, not, if your confession is not that I'm saved by the, by the finished work of Christ and in him and him alone, then you are standing on shaky ground, to say the least. And so the invitation that he gives to you is to come to him by faith today. And so let the elements pass, but to pray and to consider what it is that you have heard today. So the elements are in the back. You can get them and return back to your seat, and we'll have a few moments of quiet time of prayer, and then we'll partake of the elements together here momentarily.